Entrepreneurs and dreamers, welcome back to The Dylan England Show. I'm your host, Dylan England, and on today's fifth episode of the podcast, we're going to be discussing how can you be an unstoppable leader here in 2023. And in order to assist me in this conversation today, I invited executive and leadership coach, EOS implementer, Mike Gruley. Really thankful that Mike took the time to be on the show today. Mike has been an entrepreneur his whole life. He has started multiple companies and now shares that knowledge with other business owners. Also shares what it means to be a good leader and real leader. This is a conversation that you will not want to miss and you're going to want to make sure you listen to the whole podcast. If you'd like to view the video podcast, you're more than welcome to go to our YouTube channel at The Dylan England Show. We'd love to see you there where you can see our conversation in video format. If you're going to listen on anything else, thank you for listening. Please hit that follow button. I do hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Thank you for your support. Let's jump in. Visionary type people. Sure. And they have ideas. You know this. You think about stuff. You have ideas. And that's how the business gets started. Mm. That's where all your ideas come from. And then the business starts, and the business starts to be a business starts taking over. You know, it's the old saying, the tail's wagging the dog. Okay. And pretty soon, you know, Dylan's not coming up with the ideas he used to because he's worried about making the trains run on time and, you know, the, the rent and the problems and the issues. And I've learned this late. I learned more about my past life in the last five to 10 years than I could realize when I was living in it, is I would go on vacation, say it was a Saturday to Saturday, Get there, great. We're with the kids. We're on the beach and stuff. Sunday, still things whirling around in my head, wondering what's going to happen Monday morning. Mm. Monday morning hits, and I'm thinking about stuff at work. So you never actually really relaxed that whole thing. I mean, you kind of did, but your well, brain was still always churning, right? It is, but what I found was naturally, I, because I was just out of the office, we were always big believers that when you're out of the office, you're out of the office. You don't bother people when they're on vacation. I would find that by Tuesday, I'd forgotten about work. Okay. And by Wednesday, it was like I was just enjoying the kids and the swimming and the stuff. Mm -hmm. And here's the funny thing that happened. Great ideas would creep into my head. You know, uh, we'd put the kids down or whatever, and maybe my wife is doing something else, and I'd be sitting there. It's all quiet, and this idea would hit me out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, man, that would be a great idea. And I wouldn't dwell on it and go, I'll have to remember that. Where would that come from? Yeah. What it really was coming from is that my mind's doing this all the time. Visionary people do this stuff, mm -hmm. driving in the car, that sort of thing. But usually we're so cluttered with the day-to-day -day stuff, and especially if you have family and kids, that's sure. busy. Um, and if you can just clear it all away at some point, just teach yourself to clear that stuff away, you don't have to think about anything. It just comes in. Mm. It, just, it just, like, jumps in. So, have, Are you a Parks and Rec watcher at all have you seen that show at all i, I know of it i've maybe okay. seen it once but i haven't watched it a lot Why? so there's a there's an episode so leslie nope is like the crazy parks lady like it's everything done she's like sleeps eats breathes parks they it's just her whole life put the uh harvest festival which is like the they haven't done it in years she pulled it off it was like the biggest event in the city's like 50 year history <laughs> right and so the city manager comes after so right after her biggest success there was all this drama they said she couldn't do it she did it they pulled it off the city manager's like hey can't wait to see your next big idea so she has all this pressure to like one up herself and do it again. And so she grabbed her whole team and said, we're going camping and we're going to have fun and we're going to have idea tanks. So she grabs her whole parks department. They're all camping. 
and she's like, all right, guys, here's a pen, pad, write down all your ideas, go. Start thinking. And then they're like, why, Leslie, you always have the ideas. Like, just tell us your idea and we'll go along with it. And she's like, <laughs> she's like no, I want to hear yours. And she later, like, she didn't have an idea. She's like, I don't have an idea. I'm freaking out because I have no idea what our next big idea is. And so, anyway, all this stuff happened. Gets to the point where their car dies. They find a random Airbnb filled with all these, or a bed and breakfast filled with all these cats and this crazy old lady that they sleep in. I don't have to watch and this her show. Boss, it good. It's so good. Her boss locks her in a room because he was like, Leslie, when was the last time you slept? She's like, uh, eight days ago. You know, because <laughs> the Harvest Festival is crazy. Wow. She, and she's like, I haven't slept in like eight days. And so he locks her in this room, this like five by five room. And he's like, she's like, no, I have to plan. I have to plan because her papers are everywhere. Yeah. And he's like, go to sleep, Leslie. <laughs> so anyway, it's the next day, like one o'clock in the afternoon. They're at the meeting with the city manager and Leslie is not there yet. And Ron, uh, who's the boss, is like, oh, she'll be here. And she like rushes in the office with like a blanket over her hair's messed up. She's like, I just got a lot of sleep. I got seven hours, which is seven hours more I've had in the past week. But I just have bunch of ideas and wrote them all down. Now. So she basically like wrote like <clears throat> same it was the exact same thing you said she in this this silly show but they presented it well. She was so stressed out about one upping keeping growing that all she needed to do was just sleep. I think writers and musicians go through this. You know, we were talking about music earlier mm. and I am not a, a musician or, or or a writer of music but I could see where you know that first album someone gets famous for and it's like oh it's so good. Yeah. And then you get that contract of like well we need a, a, one album a year and it just gets harder and harder because now it's it's like, all right, ready, set, go. And I don't know. That's that. I don't know that that helps the creative process. I think mm. the creative process is something that comes from, yeah. I don't know, somewhere deep within. And when we cover ourselves with all kinds of stuff, busyness and all that, we bury it down in there and it just doesn't come out. So it's a, it's a skill, I think, entrepreneurs in particular, but probably musicians, artists, whatever, because entrepreneurs are artists. Mm. They really are. Um, for entrepreneurs, they have to find ways, you know, really skillful ways to peel off those layers of stuff mm -hmm. and find that, that space and time where they can go back to what they did back when they had no business and no one was calling them and there was no problems. That's why they were so creative because sure. nothing was going on. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to put it. I think when you strip away someone's inspiration, I think is a good way to put it. Like with an artist, they're inspired to make music and they make their first album because they love what they're doing. They have inspiration stories from their childhood. And there wasn't and, a time clock. And there wasn't a time. They just made, they did as many revisions as they needed to make it good, but they were inspired to create something. Mm -hmm. But then when you're forced to create something and you, don't, and you don't know where it's coming from, you also have the pressure to get it done in a certain time frame. Not only is the job not as good. I mean, how many artists have a better second album like some do some don't i i would agree yeah, yeah they have their whole life to do the first one they had a year to do the second mm. one yeah think about that and um and and i think obviously the first one i'm i'm no expert at music I probably shouldn't be talking this but it just seems to me that the first one comes has to come from their soul mm -hmm. because i'm guessing they've been playing music for a long time not a lot of people are listening, and they're doing their gigs, whether it be bars or other places. And yeah, they're a good band, but at a, they reach a point where they probably say, you know what, I'm going to write what I want to write about. Mm -hmm. I'm going to write what's important to me. I'm going to create lyrics that come from a place that I care about. I'm not trying to be m a marketing guru anymore because it just isn't getting it. Mm -hmm. And I think the funny part is, is that might be that breakthrough 
when they write something that matters to them and it resonates with people. And, and, um, and bringing that over to maybe entrepreneurship. I've never made this, this leap before from music because sure. I don't know anything about music. But being an entrepreneur and being an artist, I think that, that bringing that over is when you create something in business that comes from a place of – from your heart, from your soul, from a place of love, um, people want to be part of it. Mm. They want to be part of it. They want to get on board. They want to follow. They want to see it happen. And when you're committed to something, and this is a funny thing, when you're really committed to something, which usually you are when it comes from your heart and all sure. that, the world sort of, whether you realize it or not, kind of rallies around you. Mm. And things start, you might call it luck or intuition, it just starts going your way in a lot of ways. Not always, but a lot of ways it does because you just create this I don't know, like this black hole where it starts sucking things in, yeah. all the right things, and you see the right things. Yeah. Um, and and that, maybe that's what happens on that first album is it's just, it's coming from such a, a wonderful place that everyone loves it. And then when you try to fake create that. I mean, pe people can tell if you're disingenuous too. Like, it's kind of what you're saying a little bit. I mean, we, the one of the podcasts, we were talking about products and selling, and yeah. people can tell when you're full of crap. Like yeah. People know when you're not actually passionate about a product that you're selling. Yep. So, like, if I didn't believe that the products that I sold actually helped people, I wouldn't be as an effective salesman. I'm not saying you can't do that career. I'm just saying you're not going to be as good or as effective. Right. Sure. Um, and it's kind of very similar to what you're saying. If you're going to start a business, if you're looking, if you're not passionate about it, it might be a good idea for you to find something else or at least have yeah, some, because, yeah. well, like, I mean, you've been an entrepreneur for a long, I mean, how long? 35 years. 35 plus, years. Yeah. And you've done different things in your journey, mm -hmm. correct? And I will, I'd love to talk about that in a second. But if, I'm not saying everyone has to love what they do. Like, you don't have to, but it helps. Like, there are people that, we sometimes have to work out of necessity to take care of our families. Mm -hmm. Like there are people that don't love waking up and going to a factory every day. They don't mm -hmm. love that, but that is right now the cards that they are dealt and that's what they have to do. So I do think sometimes we maybe live in this fairy land of like, you shouldn't work unless you love what you're doing. And I don't really think that's fair, but I do think you're going to be at your best if you can find that. There's no I don't know doubt. what do you think? No, I agree. Uh, going back to artists, artists, mm -hmm. you know, why are there's a lot of starving artists, a lot of musicians that don't get famous. They go, like, well, how can how can the Rolling Stones be so famous? You know, uh, there's a lot of people out there write music and play. You know, here they are. I don't know what they're 105 now. They're still out and touring, and um, they love what they do. Yeah. So to your point, there's a lot of great bands out there, but then there's the Rolling Stones or what have you. They really are in their sweet spot. Here's another thought too, though. When you talk about the person that gets up to maybe go into a factory and says, eh, "You know, the job doesn't thrill me, but I do this for my family," um, then then that's the part you love. You love that you have this opportunity mm. to do this for your family. So you have to find the love in whatever you're doing, um, and it's amazing. You won't see it as such a burden when you realize that it gets you the results that you want. Because we all, it, it, not everything is rainbow. Someone has to do these jobs yeah. that we do. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's just a mindset of what are you looking for? What are you looking to get out of whatever you're doing? And that's the end goal. That's your why. Mm -hmm. You know, some people's why is, oh, I like to be an insurance guy. I love helping people with their life insurance and all that. Great. 
But you could say, no, I'm really, really, really good at life insurance. I mean, it's just a product and I do it really well. But my why is I have three kids and I want them all to go to college. Sure. And so I want to work really hard to help other people. So then in return, I'll make enough money to send my kids to a great college. And that's your why. Mm. Uh, and I think that makes the, the sometimes the miserable days much more tolerable when you realize why you're doing it. We live in the what a lot. Mm. And the what... The what is just the what. It's just, it's not very exciting. It's not very inspiring. Why is it inspiring? Yeah, I know. I think that's so easy to forget because sometimes you make your why your actual job. Like my why is I want to be successful in sales. That's my why. Yeah. Like, maybe. But I know recently, like I've been struggling with just motivation across the board. And like we've, but I'm like, well, I have to do it. Like it's my job. I, this is what I need to do. The for the first five years of my career, I like the thrill of the hunt, thrilled me. So like I could literally just wake up and go cold calling, knocking on all these doors in Michigan, just love it because it was the thrill of the hunt. Yeah, you loved it. Well, then once COVID hit and I got out of that habit, and then you know all of a sudden it's like I don't really like cold calling <laughs> anymore. You know I don't like being told no a hundred times a day. Like I don't. That's not fun for me. And so it's definitely been, and we had a great year last year. I mean, we went like 50% increase. I mean, whatever. But it still has been like this like drag recently. And so that's helpful for me to hear is like going back to the drawing board of what's my why? Like, why do I pay for an office space? Like, why did I, why did I do this career? Why, like, why am I here, you know, four years later? And that's, uh, and where am I wanting to go to? Like I told you earlier, we have a kid on the way. Like, yes. That's a big why. That's you know? a big why. Makes and a so, difference. Change your life. Perspective of jumping into your career every day, you know, that's helpful. I'm sure you've heard of this, but the, you know, Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, probably one of the best books I've ever read. It's just mm -hmm. a fantastic book. It's not necessarily a business book. It's just a book about knowing your why. Why do you do things? What drives your passions? I'm sure... I, may, may, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but going back to the Rolling Stones, there must be days th sitting backstage and maybe he's just going, man, I'm just not in the mood today. You know, I sing, you know, the uh, same songs over and over. I can't get no satisfaction for the four billionth time. My guess is he gets out there and the energy from the crowd gets going and he does his thing and he's loving it. I would hope that most of the time he never feels that way, if ever. Sure. But there has to be a time. Oh, 100%. Or maybe there's things going on in his life, and it's like, gosh, i got to go out there. And we all feel that way. So it doesn't mean you don't love your job. Um, it's just the why behind it, you know. Mm. And uh, uh, family, you know, for me, it's always been, and probably like you too, is you had a baby on the way now. That changes all the motivations. Yeah. And I actually find that when you have those kinds of motivations, some of the jobs you might have used to not like – you don't mind them anymore because you see the purpose behind it. Yeah. It's that goal behind the goal. You want to be a millionaire? Okay. And then what? What's the goal behind the goal? Right. If you had a million dollars tomorrow, what would you do? Mm. What would you do with that? I know some people say, well, I just want to make a lot of money. Okay. What's a lot? Give me a number. All right. $500? Okay. And When you have 500 then what? What do you want to do? You want to make more money? Or is there something you want to do with that? Mm. Some people you want to affect with that? Mm-hmm someone's life, whatever, that's the real goal. And when you when you find that goal, then it changes your perspective. Now it becomes a why, because making a million dollars is just a what. It's just a what. I mean, and, and, you've, yeah. seen, and you've seen some of these folks we see, they, they made $100 million, and they go, well, we're going to make another $100 million. Yeah. And then we're going to make another $100 million. Not me, by the way. Yeah. 
Uh, so that would be my question to any of them. All right, so when you make your next $100 million, then what's, your, what, what's the goal behind the goal? Yeah, I mean, that's that's so good. I've, I've read that book, and I want to read it again. And when I first Start with why? Mm-hmm, yeah. With Simon Sinek. It's so good. Yeah. And when I first started uh, doing this career, one of my mentors made me write down my why, and it was super helpful. And that's why I did what I did for three years and just busted my butt on the streets, you know, yeah. of knocking on doors and all that kind of stuff. But I do think over time you can lose that. That well, I think it's gro- I think that's growth. I don't yeah. know if you lost anything. I think you've actually grown. You've gained something. Mm. You've gained the knowledge of doing that. Maybe you perfected it, did it really well. It's grew your business, but you're just ready for the next step. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's the same reason why the Rolling Stones keep writing new albums, right? Because it's like, all right, we can't sing the same nine songs. So over the course of years, these artists keep writing new albums, mm-hmm. mainly, mainly because their record albums tell them to do it. But, but nonetheless, I think they would go crazy if they literally sang all the same one album's worth of songs for 30, 40 years. Sure. They might go crazy. Yeah, and your why changes too. Sure. Because that's the, th- the, the yeah. I think that's what happened to me is we hit our, like I hit my whys. Like I wanted to get a house because I want to support my wife. We did that. And then it's like I wanted to get to certain, and we, we kind of kept hitting our why goals. And then it, it got to the point that I'm very content with where God has put us. And so in the past, you know, the love of, like you said, I want to make a million bucks. I want to do that. Like that doesn't do it for me. Like some people, sure, yeah. they can be driven by pure money and it doesn't, it, I, I mean, I don't care. I'm not like, motivated by it either. So, yeah. but it's I think result. I was trying to use that as motivation being like, okay, how much do I want to make this year? Okay. I want to make this much per year. I want to do this per month. And I, that's when, then I stopped there and I stopped going to the next step of no, really, what am I trying to do here? Like, what's my actual why? I think this is a perfect time to introduce you, who you are, and what you do, because obviously you just eat, sleep, and breathe coaching. I mean, every time I talk to Mike, we have coffee, and every time I see him with people, he's helping somebody. He's always giving advice. He's listening. He's learning, and then also reciprocating that with just years of experience of being an entrepreneur, and right now he does, would you call it like leadership coaching? Would that be a good way to, to put it? That's exactly what I do, yeah. Perfect. Leaders, leadership teams of entrepreneurial companies. Yeah. Perfect. So he does leadership coaching for companies, I mean, more than just Michigan, right? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I, I try to stay locally, so I'm not on planes my whole life because my why is to family. be yeah. with family, yeah. right, and yeah. not be on a plane. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he's he's great, and we were talking earlier, he, he coaches for companies that are giant 500-man-plus companies all the way down to helping a leader. He just wants to help leaders. And that's the thing I appreciate about Mike. When I, we've we've known each other for a couple of years now, yeah, um, maybe more, maybe more, three, four. And he's never seemed because he's in a different stage of life than me. I'm a young entrepreneur. I'm figuring out life, and it'd be very easy for Mike to be like, "Dude, I don't like." There's nothing I have to offer him, but he's always willing to just reach out and help. And, and I'm learn. also a young entrepreneur. Yeah, you very yeah compared to people I've that are ninety. Yeah, yeah correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're only, you're only 40, so yeah, yeah, yeah 42. Yeah, right, yeah I yeah. love it. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about what you do. Tell me um, what your goals, and then I'd love to kind of maybe look back in your 35 years and just some of the lessons you learned. But tell me first about what you do and who you're with and what, what you kind of got going uh, on. Technically, I'm, a, I'm an EOS implementer. EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System. And, and uh, I, I work with leadership teams of entrepreneurial companies, so privately owned companies. You know, typically they might have anywhere between, you know, 
10 and 250 employees. But again, I have some that are smaller than that. And as you mentioned, I have some that are twice the size of that. Um, and and what, I, what I really help teams do is, is, is get clarity on their, on, their, on their vision and where they're going and get alignment with their leadership teams. And the EOS model and the tools that I teach, it's really just a, it's, a, it's really a complete proven system mm. with very simple and practical tools. And it does help organizations get like three things, vision, traction, and health. Vision from the standpoint of getting everyone on the leadership team on the same page with where we're going and how we're going to get there because that's where it starts. Mm. Traction from the standpoint of instilling discipline and accountability in that team so everyone's driving towards that vision. And healthy, and this is a really important part, healthy from the standpoint of creating a cohesive, functional, open and honest team, people that that can work well together. Because sometimes, and you may know this, you get a bunch of leaders in a room, and it isn't always cohesive and functional. Sure. And so as goes that leadership team with a great vision, great traction and health, so goes the rest of the organization. Till eventually they see their whole organization where everyone can see where they're going. They love it. They want to be part of it. They're executing with discipline and accountability. And more importantly, they're just doing it in a really healthy environment, a place they love to work, they mm. love to be with people. doesn't mean they don't have their, uh, their disagreements and the healthy conflict, which is sure. really important, like a good family. I mean, you've been married to your wife for a long time. I'm sure if you tell me you've never argued with her, I'd say you're a liar, yeah. but you still love her. Yeah. And this is what we're looking for with leadership mm. teams. Is teams that love each other and really work well together that way, they can talk about things. And that's how they excel. So anyways, that's what I do. I work with those leadership teams. Mm. And I have one last thing. I have a lot of empathy for this. I know this is why, um, I don't know, I just, because I've built businesses since my 20s, I know how hard it is. It's, n it's not for sissies running a business. <laughs> it's not. And, and it's a lonely place. Mm. Nobody cares. And you, and you also find out that all your friends and relatives that have never owned a business they don't understand. Mm. And if you say, I own an insurance business, oh, it must be nice. You hardly ever work. You're your own boss. You make a million dollars a week. Must be great. And they couldn't be any further from the truth. And, and so you feel alone sometimes. And that's why entrepreneurs hang around other entrepreneurs. Yeah. I always say it's kind of like a 12-step program, right? You show <laughs> up and you go, hi, my name is Dylan. I'm an entrepreneur. Hi, Dylan. And, he's twitching, uh, you know. Yeah, he's twitching. <laughs> and then you tell your sad, crazy yeah. story like, wait till you hear this, guys. And everyone in the room says, yeah, I know. I did that three times. You know, yeah. it's, you're unique just like yeah. everyone else. Um, so we, we are a type of person. That's funny. We're built a certain way, and, and we can't be anything else. Mm -hmm. And when we try to be something else, it doesn't fit. We don't like it. We're not comfortable. I could never go work in a big government organization. I have friends and relatives that do. I have five siblings. They all work at big companies and government, and they've been very successful. I don't know. I hear about their jobs. I could never do it. And they say, how do you do what you do? What a mess. It's always something, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I love it. You know, I yeah. just, I love the unknown. I love being the freedom of it. So we're all built differently, and, and those are the people I connect with. Those are the people I, I coach and guide, and those are people that um, when we're done working together, they feel like they know their why, mm. and everyone around them knows their why, and they're well-run organizations. And as a result, mm -hmm. not as a why, as a result, 
they become more profitable, they become more successful, and they grow, and they love what they're doing. I mean, we could end the, the podcast right here. That was so good. I'm yeah. just sitting here just being like, how many, so what would it take, so when when you help somebody, because I've, I've known what you do for a long time, and you've helped a lot of people, when a, let's say an owner, let's use, I mean, let's use my organization, for example, you know, um, within what we have going on, I have agents that work with me, you know, they're hundred percent commission, but then their business tracks to me and then I'm in charge of training them. That's how the, I work. I also have mm-hmm. some people on payroll, yep. um, that on the separate side, what do you see in healthy companies? So like if you are brought into a company that says, Hey, we want to implement EOS. We want to look, have you do, I guess, a, a review of our current culture and our leadership. And I'm sure that you walk into companies and there are some that are like, okay, Hey guys, we're doing okay. You know, there's mm-hmm. some things that we need to work on, but you're doing a lot of things right. And you walk into other companies and you're like, okay, yeah. we yeah. have a lot of opportunity here yeah. to grow, you know. Yeah. Um, what is some of the consistent themes that you find in companies that are maybe already doing it right? Um, like versus, or maybe some themes that you see, like th- these are some red flags. So if your culture and your company looks like this, or if there's someone watching or listening to the podcast that wants to start a business and they want to scale and grow, what is some red flags to look out for if you see your culture going going here? All right, so I'll go back to those three things I mentioned, that vision, traction, and healthy. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not even going to say businesses. I'll say any organization, and let's even call it even a family, mm. right? So imagine a family where uh, the spouses don't have the same vision for what this is going to look like. You want kids, and, and I don't. Mm. Well, that's a that's a tough one, right? So I'm, and, and maybe you've met other people. Maybe they're dating or friends, or they're married, and and they're and, and you. And how many times has this happened? You're listening to other couples, thinking, when are they ever going to get? They're not on the same page. And you go home with your wife, and you think, boy, I'm glad we're on the same page because that would be messy. Yeah. This is what happens with all people in any kind of walk, and it happens in business too. And businesses need to run the same way. Mm. We got to be rowing in the same direction. We got to be wanting to go to the same place. When I meet with clients for the first time, that's really what I get a sense of is, are they on the same page with where they want to go? And are they healthy about it? Now, again, I'll use the couples analogy. You ever go out with another couple and the guy says something and the woman rolls her eyes or vice versa, and you're like, Mm. geez, there's something going on there. Mm. You know, it's something they're probably not talking about. This is what happens with leadership teams. Same way, you know, maybe first day I'm meeting with them and I can see you say something and this person over here is rolling their eyes and that guy's fidgeting in his chair and this guy's on his phone. So there's, it seems like there's no trust. There's not a respect for someone else's opinion because it's been lost for whatever reason too, either, potentially. That. Either that or they just don't share the vision. I mean, mm. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, millions of people went to Washington, D.C. to rally around Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. You know, and there's an old saying, it's not my saying, but there's an old saying that says, Martin Luther King Jr. didn't say, I have a plan. He said, I have a dream. So it wasn't necessarily mapped out on paper what we're going to do tomorrow and the next day, but his vision was, and we all know what his vision was, and this was his dream. Sure. And people came from all over to hear him and to try to follow Mm. and use him as the example and try to make a better world. And there's a million examples that we can see of that. Um, with other leaders. Leaders are supposed to inspire, uh, inspire people to act. Mm. Um, managers manage the things that are happening and keep track of things and, and try to keep people on the guardrail, you know, with guardrails. Sure. But leaders inspire. They make, they make you want to act and follow. 
And so when there's a common vision, then we either A, say, well, that's not for me, or we say, boy, that's really cool. I want to learn more about this thing Dylan is talking about because I believe in this. This is really cool. I want to be part of it. Yeah. So if I'm understanding you correctly, if, you know, if you don't articulate, if whoever, in marriage, a business owner, whatever, if you're not articulating your vision well, it's hard to know if that person wants to get on or get off the bus. The mark of a successful successful leader is one that can very clearly articulate where they're going, where they're driving this thing, and then very clearly saying, hey, so are you on or off? And that's when it's like, I don't want one foot on, one foot off. Like either you're on the bus, and this is a very clear, this is our destination. I might not be even 100% sure how we're going to get there. That's where traction, I'm assuming, comes in, of the discipline, the accountability, and us kind of maybe fleshing that out a little bit more. Sure, right. The vision's clear. This is where we're going. And then um, are you on or off? And then I think where potentially a lot of people could run into is they don't have a clear vision where they want their company to go. They have an idea, maybe, but it's not clear, uh, well, or they can't articulate it. Yeah, they're just seeing how it's going to go. Yeah. Uh, they'll see how it goes. Because mm. believe it or not, sometimes in business, that's how we start, right? Because it goes back to, well, look, we got to make a living. So let's say I'm a cupcake maker, and I make cupcakes. And some people say, hey, can you make pizza too? Um well, I think a lot of people might buy pizza, so maybe I should do that. Well, now you're getting away from the why and you're getting to the what. Hmm. Well, if they'll buy it, I'll make pizza. I'm really not a pizza guy. I make hmm. cupcakes. Yeah. I'm world-renowned in making cupcakes. Everyone loves Mike's cupcakes. Now I'm going to make pizza? I've lost my focus. Hmm. And everyone around me loses that focus. Hmm. So the, the right answer there is, you know what? There's a pizza store down the road. I highly recommend it. Dylan's Pizza is the best. But if you want cupcakes, we're the best. Right? Mm. And think about this. Think about fast food restaurants. They're a perfect analogy of this because millions of people go through McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell every day. Mm. And what if you went up to the window of Burger King and just said, hey, can you whip up some tacos for me? They'd say, no, we don't do that. Yeah, that's not our thing. Why don't they? They have a million people going through their driveway every day. They could just sell tacos, burgers, everything, just sell it all. But they don't because they don't do well at that. They excel at their burgers and fries, and McDonald's has their own burgers and fries that are different, as we all know. And 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 they would gladly say, if you want tacos, go down the street mm. to Taco Bell. But when you're ready for a burger, come see us, because they don't sell burgers. Yeah, so it's kind of accept what you're good at. You don't have to say yes to everything. Stay I mean, in your sweet spot. Stay in your sweet no spot. No is a complete sentence. Yeah. And it's really important. It's really important for business owners. No is a complete sentence. And something I we love teach that. in something we teach in EOS is a core focus. And it's the intersection of two things. The first one is your passion, purpose, or cause. It's the thing that drives you. It's your why. Why you exist as an organization. Hmm. Now you don't say I exist to make cupcakes. No. You make cup that's what you do. Mm-hmm. So why do you do it? Well, I just love to see the looks on these little kids' faces and eat the cupcakes, and I make them all special. I customize them for birthdays. I come up with it. All right, that's your why. Yeah, we're getting there now. You're creating happiness for people, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know. The second part is your niche or your niche. What is that? It's what you do better than anyone else. Then you'd say, I make cupcakes like no one else does. Mm-hmm. You've never had my cupcakes. you got to come taste my cupcakes, right? Mm-hmm. So... I love doing it because of the impact it has on the kids' birthday parties or whatever, and no one does it better. Mm. And now that's what I do. So when you come to me and say, Mike, there's a lot of people that were going to come to your place. You're really close by. Pizza joint would work great. And I have to say, you know, Dylan, 
maybe someone else should sell a pizza. I just mm-hmm. do cupcakes, and that's what I do well. And if you really look at a lot of the most successful businesses, most of them do it that way. You mm-hmm. know, Orville Redenbacher is still just selling popcorn. Yeah. You know, um, and they're the ones that stand the test of time. When we try to please everybody, yeah. nobody likes it. Hmm. You know, so we have to be mindful of that, especially when we're early on in business. One last thing, because when you start, there's a little bit of what there, because it's like, and I got three kids and there's money and bills and I got to do what I can to make money. And it might be short-sighted because as you start to do other things, you're neglecting making those cupcakes. Sure. And the cupcake business will never be huge or be the thing you want it to be because you're busy doing other things. You just have to play the long game. Stay with those cupcakes if that's what you love and that's what you're great at. Hopefully you're in the right marketplace. Right. And you you become the Orville Redenbacher and your kids huh. are going to go to college just fine. Yeah, it's... I think the hard, it gets hard when you've established your niche and you've been successful in your niche and you feel like you're ready to tackle something else, knowing when to... So, for example, within insurance companies, I'll give you an example. So, um, Allstate does car and home mm-hmm. insurance. That is their bread and butter, right? Aflac does supplemental insurance. That is their bread and butter. Blue Cross does health insurance. That is their... Like different sex, okay. Well, then uh, a couple years ago, Allstate released supplemental insurance. They have an Allstate cancer plan, and it's been around for a while, but they really started pushing it. Mm-hmm. They have a supplemental line of products, and um, it didn't go well for them. They got some people on the plan, but all of a sudden, people started having claims, and claims took a while to pay. And they realized they're like, we actually don't want to be in the supplemental business, right? Yeah. It's not our thing. Our thing is an Af- and, and Allstate is an amazing company and they do a lot of really good things with, you know, auto and home, but they're not a supplemental insurance company. It's so they, they try to dive in it and it didn't go very well. And then there's Aflac. Aflac is a supplemental insurance company. That's what they do. That's their deal. That, like, that's it. Like, They've yeah they brought on a couple of things in the past year they just started d- d- diving their toe into dental and vision which is whatever but like for the longest for fifty five years or no seventy five years nineteen fifty five is when it started they were literally we do supplemental insurance that's it and we're dang good at it so if you want a good a, a company that stands by their word like they're so good that like one in four households in Japan have Aflac wow wow. I feel like don't get mad at me if I quote a little bit wrong, but I believe it's one in four households. When the tsunami happened in Japan, Aflac paid out millions in claims. And now it's just a way of life there. You can buy Aflac at the post office in Japan. Japan's the only other country that Aflac's in. Yeah. And it's really interesting. So like that, but that that's their niche. And it's in Japan now, like you buy Aflac. That's what you do. Why do you think it's taken so strongly in Japan as opposed to, you know, maybe some other country or well, they they haven't pushed any other country. Japan, Japan. The reason is, I know, it's a very organized. You think about your future. You plan for the what ifs. You take uh, care of yourself. Yeah. Very hygienic. Like that's just the way of life there. The way of life there. We're going to be smart. We're going to plan for the what ifs. We're yep. going to make sure we're taken care of. Yeah. We're going to think of our family, honor our family, and like. So it's so a very it's simple a, thing. It's a different them. mindset there. Correct. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, and then when they saw that Affleck did what they said they were going to do when it came to all those claims, it was also kind of like this is the company. Like. Mm you know, use this. So it's really cool to see. And I say all that to say, like, even big companies need to be careful, like on where they jump in. And sometimes it's just, you know, they're guessing. But for our agency, like I said, we were selling supplemental insurance to businesses. That was our niche. And then COVID came and it killed our niche. 
because every business in the state of Michigan, thank you, government, was shut down. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm trying to be too political, but come yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. Come right, right. On. Yeah. Um, and so we, uh, so, you know, shut everything down. And so we were like, we, at that time, my wife was working with me. So our family income, went, it was gone. Everything's one basket. Yeah. One basket. And so I've been trying to navigate, like, so then I brought the life insurance business in. So now I'm, my niche isn't as much my niche anymore. And I have seen what you're talking about on my focus impacting my team because I've noticed even with my admin, I'll walk in and be like, Hey, I need help with this. And I'll, and actually, I also need this over here because I am being pulled. So how does somebody looking to not have all of their eggs in one basket, looking to grow, we're still within the same lane of insurance. So I haven't completely like, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not tacos how, and burgers. Correct. It, it is. I mean, it's, uh, I, I would put that in the category of, you know, you can go to, you can go to McDonald's and get a fish sandwich it's mm-hmm. not a burger. It's a fish sandwich. So it's basically similar. Yeah. Um, and you can probably, I think you can even get a salad now or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they have different menu items, mm-hmm. but they're not going to jump to the next level, which is we're going to go Mexican now. Well, that's mm-hmm. a whole different kind of food, a whole different kind of customer too. Yeah. Right? It, there's. I, I would imagine there might be people out there that just hate burgers. They only mm-hmm. like tacos. So they're never going to go to the burger joint. They're going to go to the taco place. They're, they're saying, I don't care about those clients. We're just going to sell our burgers. And those burger people tend to like yeah. uh, French fries and they like fish sandwiches and they yeah. might occasionally have a salad or a shake or whatever. So I hate to keep using the fast food restaurants, but they're so specific in how they do that. They, they know their, their target market mm. and the people they want to work with. You know, and that's another thing we work on too is, is who is your target market? Mm. Who are you trying to help? Making sure you stay within that core focus I mentioned about the thing you do well, and in this case could be insurances, maybe not 45 different types of insurance, sure. but those one or two things, and maybe the commonality is is that target market. So right. I, I'll probably use a bad example, but maybe let's say you find that young families need uh, supplemental insurance. Okay. Well, young families also might need life insurance. So you're really serving one marketplace. It's yeah. young families. Those examples of the fast food do too. They're serving certain markets. Mm. And so getting, you're not jumping into other markets. You are just trying to better serve your market hmm. uh, for that. That's yeah. helpful. So basically making sure that your vision is aligned with your target market. And there might be opportunities within your target market that also aligns your vision. And if that happens, that's kind of your perfect case scenario to maybe bring a new yeah. something. Yeah, they, to, might, to they might even actually be complimentary too. Yeah, correct. Because you say, look, you know, th- this kind of insurance is going to help you in case of an accident or illness or something. And then help us if someone dies, this other insurance will help take care of the family mm. should that worst case scenario happen too. Mm. So basically both of those are protecting the family and maybe in, in particular younger families that don't have a lot of assets to rely upon if one of the breadwinners gets injured or hurt or killed. Um, so I'm, I'm spitballing here on the insurance thing. No, I love thing. it. I, you're, I don't killing, know. you're literally reading my mind. I, I don't that, know how yeah. insurance works that well like no, you do. So. Well, you literally nailed it. That's yeah. that's what that's exactly what we did. And um, I think also just trying to diversify, you know, income and revenue for the agency was also a big reason we did it. Um, and you know, every employee we talk to also needs to get personal life insurance because a lot of times group plans aren't portable. So meaning. If they leave, they lose their life insurance. I just signed up someone with life insurance yesterday that she left her her hospital job after 60 or whatever. Th- she just retired, so she's been there for, what, 40 years, and wow. she's going to lose her life insurance. So wow. that's that's why we do what we do as far as, like, to make sure people aren't in 
the trouble. And so if we can educate those people ahead of time, you know, whatever. So that's not a big plug for the agency. That's what I wasn't trying to do, but that's, yeah. that's cool. Um, well, go ahead. Well, think about your own, your own, this thing we're talking about with the insurance now. You come in contact. You're, you're basically a financial representative for people. So for families, you're helping them deal with risk and in their insurance matters. So there you are. They're a client of yours, and they like you, and you like them. And what if I come to you and say, hey, I love what you've done for us on insurance. Do you do wealth management too? Right? Now, you could say, you know, boy, there's a heck of a market there. Every one of my clients asks me every day. That would be a tough decision for you now because are you going to be a wealth manager mm-hmm. or are you going to be an insurance guy? Can you be both? You never want to say never, yeah. but getting back to what we're talking about, is that what you're really good at? Or maybe you're not passionate yeah. about it. You're like, I don't know about that, but boy, it really, you know, it'd be really nice money. Well, are we talking about your why or your what? Mm-hmm. After you make the nice money, then what? Okay, so what's the goal behind that goal? Is it going to hurt your other business? Uh, all these questions. You notice I have lots of questions and no answers. Um, but that's how we get better is we just ask ourselves questions, and that's how we sharpen our clarity oh, in that. our mind. Yeah, because yeah, you can only be so deep when you're so wide. Yeah, when you're starting out or any time, if you're so wide and you try to do everything, there there was an agent or, or someone I was talking to, and she wanted to do supplemental insurance, she wanted to do life insurance, she wanted to do Medicare, she wanted to do health insurance. And, and I was like, honey, like you're not going to be good at any of them. Like, get good at one thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then maybe add the next one. Get good at that. Then maybe build a team and get support so then you can... Like, I'm not saying that you can't, but you need to scale... To the point that at least think about it. Yeah. So, like for example, like I've wanted to jump in the Medicare market, haven't done it, but I have somebody that I want to join the organization and that be their thing, and they head that up. So it still fall under our umbrella, but I'm not doing it. You're not the expert, right? I'm not the expert, and yeah. so I think there are ways you can scale like that when you sure. put people in places. But you're right; you can only be so good when you're just spread out so thin. I'll give you a perfect example of this, and I think it, I would like to think it happened kind of uh, organically. It, over time, is that when we think of doctors, these mm-hmm. are basically like scientists. These are people that are really smart. They've been highly educated in the workings of the human body, and that's not an easy thing, and all that. So these are people that are very academic. Um, and yet we find that over the past of the course several decades, we see mostly doctors specializing. Mm. And they go, why do they do that? Well, I think just organically, the business world, insurance world, whatever, they've figured out that it's way more efficient. If you just do knees every day, you know, and I do colonoscopies, and this guy does eye surgeries, Mm -hmm. and this lady over here does, you know, elbow, ear, nose, and throat, whatever it is. And when you think about it, it might be a little more boring, maybe. I don't know, at least to me. But but if all I'm doing is knee surgeries every day, Mm -hmm. just lining them up and doing knee surgeries, am I going to be more proficient at it? Am I going to be more knowledgeable? Am I going to be really darn good at it? Am I going to be more efficient because it's the same? I'm not having to keep relearning a new thing. I'm going from knees, the fingers, the hands, the eyes, the ears. How do you learn all that stuff, Mm -hmm. all the technology? So I I don't even know that it necessarily happened as a plan. It just evolved that way. They found it just works yeah. better that way. Not only for the system, not only for us as patients, but for the doctors in their sure. lives. It's just much easier to focus on one thing and be darn good at it yeah. and, and create their own name. Like Dr. Dylan is awesome at shoulder surgery. Sure. Everyone goes to you. Man, that's a good point. And then 
the byproduct of that is more revenue for the business because you're seeing patients quicker and you're better at what you do and you're not as stressed. So you're like less marketing because you're specialized in it, right? Correct. Yeah. You could see how that just has a trickle effect and that's not necessarily obviously just always the goals, but like it makes a lot of sense. It just happens that way. It does. Let's go here. I mean, I think we're good on time. Yeah. We're still, we're still doing okay. We'll probably wrap up here in about 10 to 15 minutes. Because Mike is a busy guy, so we just kind of sliding this in mid- yeah, midday. Yeah, yeah right. Sliding yeah. this in. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about traction and discipline, and when you you establish the vision inside of a company, and now it's the traction phase. So of the three things, we're in the traction phase. You said discipline and accountability, right? Mm-hmm. How does the organization go about changing the way they're doing things? Because that has to be tough for people that have done things one way and all of a sudden you're trying to go in there. So how does how do you encourage and, and what's some of the coaching behind getting people to be disciplined and, and bringing that accountability? It's really not that complicated because we're not going in saying you need to change the way you're doing things. We start with something that we call the accountability chart, which looks like an org chart. But the reason we call it an accountability chart is org charts often deal with hierarchies and egos and power and stuff. Uh, accountability is about getting stuff done. Mm. So we need to know what does the structure of this look like to get the stuff done we need to get done. And I'll give you, as I guess I'm today I'm the analogy guy. I love it. But the analogy might be, now I'm not, I, I know about baseball. I played baseball as a kid, but believe me, I'm no expert at baseball at all. But if someone came to me and said, Mike, we need you to create some sort of accountability. Our baseball team is a mess. All right, well, what's the structure of the team look like? Well, we don't know. We just kind of run out in field and we hang out in different places. Well, hold on. I know this much. I know we're going to need a pitcher and a catcher, first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, and so on and so on. Hmm. Okay. How many guys are, is there nine? Yeah, nine? Sure, we'll yeah. get that. So, so there's nine people, and these are the positions. Okay, so now why are you putting those positions? Well, the pitcher's the guy that has to know all the different ways to throw the ball so the catcher can catch it. That guy has to catch it because otherwise it just hits the backboard. All right. And then if someone hits the ball, you know, the bases. And I, you know, so you notice every player has a specific role to play. Now, you notice I haven't mentioned any people yet. Mm-hmm. I'm just creating the structure. And even I can do that. And I don't, I'm not an expert at baseball. Any of us can do that. So we create that structure. Okay, so this is what a fully functioning, good baseball team would do. Yes. Okay. We have the right structure. Now let's find the right people. Mm. How about LeBron James? I don't think that's the right guy. He's a basketball player. All right, how about Tom Brady? I mean, he can probably play baseball, but he doesn't, A, he doesn't want to, and he's probably not great at it. Yeah. Now you start getting baseball players, and then you be more specific. All right, what job would you like to do? Well, I, I'm a really good pitcher. I can, well, then we're going to put you on the mound. This guy's a left fielder. This guy's a mm. right fielder. You start putting the right people in the right seats. So you build this structure. Now you know what the accountability is. Now people basically are going to sign up because mm. I'm not going to raise my hand to be a pitcher if I'm a catcher because hmm. I know I won't do a good job. That's accountability right off the start. Now I could lie, sure, but as soon as I throw a few times, you're going to say, all right, Mike, so what am I missing, yeah. right? Right, 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 right. So, um, so all we're doing is going in and creating the structure for their business regardless of the people they currently have. Hmm. What makes this business successful going forward? Now let's look who you have and see where they're best placed and see who's going to sign up for which job, who wants the job or doesn't want the job. Mm. Sometimes we find out people are there that have no job. Mm. Sometimes we find out 
people are incredible at their jobs and other people are getting in their way. So then we put people in the seats. Now we have the baseball team, all the players are out there, and now we have accountability. Mm. So when the ball comes to me at third base and I drop it every time, you're going to say, Mike, when the ball comes to third base, you got to catch it. I mean, that's your job. It's what it says in the job description, third baseman, yeah. catch it. And you got to know how double plays work, too. I don't, I don't know how that works. you got to learn it. If you can't, then we need to find someone who can. Yeah. And so there's the accountability. I know what I need to do, and I'm going to do what I need to do because I want to be part of this. Going back to the vision, I heard we're going to win a World Series, and that would be a lifelong goal for me. And I want to do it with this team. So if I'm on third base, I want to know everything you need me to do on third base. Mm. I want to know when I'm moving up, when I'm moving out, when I'm throwing a second, first, all that stuff. And I'm going to execute on it. And I'm mm. going to measure it, too, to make sure I'm doing it. And if I don't do it, I'll know and I'll work on it. Mm. That's where you get buy-in and accountability, the vision. Then everyone dr- creates the structure. Mm. People are accountable. Did that answer your yeah, question? So that was good. a long answer. No, no honestly, my brain is just like going through how I want to just kind of wrap that up. I think without clarity of roles, you can't have accountability. And I think where or it's it's difficult to have accountability unless you have clarity on what those roles are. Where, where mm-hmm. companies maybe struggle is they hire people to these vague positions and they get frustrated when nothing's happening. And it's like, well, maybe maybe you're maybe the reason why you can't keep anyone and you have to keep hiring isn't necessarily because everyone you hire sucks. Maybe you haven't given them the tools they need to do to actually be the best versions of themselves. And so what you're saying is, I mean, man, that that analogy is huge, that baseball analogy. Couldn't say it any better myself, right? So imagine LeBron James. He's on third base, and he's awful. Yeah. Right? He can catch the tall ones, though. But, I mean, but he's terrible. Yeah. And so this guy thinks he's useless. Right. And here he is, one of the great basketball players of all time, but yet he's in the wrong place. Hmm. And wouldn't it be great for us if we could – really itemize and create expectations from to a point to where he'd say, guys, I got to tell you, I don't think I'm in the right place. I got to go find a different sport. And one day he stumbles across a basketball team where they bounce a ball and throw it in a net. And he says, now this I can do. Yeah. So he's better off. We're better off mm. on the baseball team. This is what happens in business all the time. And you nailed it. That's exactly what it is. Mm. And that's why I think a lot of people are unhappy in their jobs because they don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, most people don't quit companies. They quit bosses because the bosses haven't set expectations for them, like the manager of the yeah. baseball team. And there was never any clear vision. They they hopped on to the company to get paid. And it's like, I got paid, I got benefits, let me work there. There was never like a, hey, the vision of this company is to be the best at this and we need your help in getting us there. Yeah. Like that, What am I part of? Yeah, correct. And people, especially my generation, and is everything. I just uh, had an interview with a college kid who's looking to do an internship. And I said, hey, man, like, what's important to you? Like, you're a junior. What do you want to do? He's like, I don't know, man. He's a lacrosse captain. He's like, I don't know, man. I just want to make a difference. And I'm like, that's every college student I talk to. So if I would go about it being like, well, man, you can't really make a difference here, but you can make a lot of money. Yeah. You know, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. That's yeah. not, that doesn't resonate for him. And so, but if I said, okay, based on what you said, hey, our vision is to be the best at this to help people to do this. You know what I mean? That's our vision. We want to help families protect their assets. And, we, and the way we do that is by getting in front of employers to help them offer our policies, right? Like, let's just say that's mm-hmm. a, off the top of my head. That was probably a terrible vision, but let's just say that was a vision. Yeah. Okay, we'll have holes in it, but we'll work through it. Yeah. But the way that is, your role is this. I need you to cold call. 
That is your role. And you have to go to 100 companies every single week in person. That's your role. You can get on or off the bus. Yeah. And so very simply, at point of hire, they know what they're doing and they know what or they don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, your whole purpose in the world could be just providing safety and security for families and their mm-hmm. children um, and their grandchildren. Um, and to do that, how do you do it? Well, you do it because we provide products, financial products that protect them should something abnormal happen. happen. Uh, Okay, so what do we do every day? What's my job? I love that idea. I love helping families. I want to be part of it. What do I have to do? I have to make phone calls or I have to meet with people or I have to speak to groups or I have to explain things. I can do that. Yeah. And and not because I'm really good at it or I like speaking to people. I'm Mm -hmm. doing it because I see the impact it has. It's Mm going to – I often tell clients this. I said, I know that we're in business because you need to make money and pay the bills and stuff. I said, but that's just a result. It is just a result. So, and it's hard to work hard passionately from your heart for just a number result. We still have to have numbers. But I like to think of it this way. If we're, if we're profitable, we run a good company, we can take care of our children and our grandchildren. We take care of our employees' children and grandchildren. We take care of our vendors, our suppliers, our customers, children and grandchildren. We're taking care of these people who need us mm. to take care of them. Mm. These and, and, and the elderly, too, as our parents get older. This is why we're here. And this is why we have to do well and we have to be profitable because the profits help fund the machines we need and the people we need and help us take care of our children and our grandchildren mm. and everyone around us. And so when you think of it in terms of that, then it goes away from the bottom line. Bottom line is still important, just like a household. you got to bring money in. Sure. But you don't bring money in just to bring money in. You bring money in because you want to take care of your babies. Mm. And so when you put that perspective to it, everyone's on board with taking care of everyone's children and grandchildren. I want to take care of yours, and you want to take care of mine. What do we have to do? Mm. Let, let's, let, let's start doing what we have to do. Yeah, I mean, perspective is so important. I mean, it, it shapes... It shapes how you do business. It also shapes why you're doing your business, and it helps that motivation to keep doing what you're doing. And I don't think it's teaching people to change their mindset. I think they believe this. Mm. They just don't know they believe it because we're cluttered with all the other stuff of doing a job or things we don't like to do or making money or the bottom line. The ultimate at the end is it's, it isn't. I Most people, I don't believe their goal is not to make a million dollars. I mm. just don't believe it. They might say that. It's not. If yeah, you ask them I mean, what the I goal think... behind the goal is, they, they, they care about something else deeply. And when you talk to people long enough, you'll find out what they care about deeply. Mm. And, and that's why they do what they do, because yeah. it's something else they care about deeply. Usually it's family, but it could be anything. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people want what that money can provide. I mean, somebody might value uh, free, like time, mm-hmm. and they know that money can buy them time in the future. Like, I'm going to sacrifice my 20s, and half my 30s to give me the rest of my life, you yep. know? And so it might not be actually that they want $10 million, but they know with $10 million, they can do whatever the heck That's they the want. goal behind the goal. Yeah. I want to be able to, when my kids are in college, I want to go to all their football games. I don't want to have to be at work. I want the mm-hmm. kind of job where maybe I have the flexibility, or I want to be able to visit my grandkids if they're living in California and I'm in Michigan. Yeah. Um, that's what I want. That's the goal behind the goal. Mm-hmm. Now, to do that, I need to make a million dollars. Okay. That's different. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying is anyone that tells me they want to make a million dollars, I say, I throw out the BS card. Yeah. Right? There's something else. Yeah. 
Because you know, what if you died the next day? Would you say I lived a great life? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I always wanted to go skiing in Colorado for months at a time and take my whole family. That's the goal behind sure. the goal. Go make your million bucks and take your family to Colorado and spend a year skiing. Yeah. Yeah, because I've always told I've told my wife in you know, private conversations, but I'm like, I want to be a millionaire by 35. That's just always been my goal. I want to be a millionaire by 35. Like, by millionaire, I'm not like not net worth. I want like a million dollars of liquidable assets. So I don't want to keep it in cash because it'd just be stupid. But like, mm. have invested whatever. Be a big shoebox. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but that's always been the a, a passive goal, right? Because I know that if that happens, there's a lot of trickle down effects for that. I can give I can give a lot to like for example our church is trying to do a renovation right now that would really help the community like, help I out. can help out there like there's a lot of things from like my spiritual life that I know that I could help out there that my family like I know my my wife will never want like we can build things we can do things in our community we can invite couples over we can take vacations for example like we can help my parents like my my dad is a Christian school principal we you know didn't grow up one team but we also didn't grow up with a plethora of things so he they sacrificed a lot of their retirement to get me through college debt free. So like, I know that if I'm doing well, I can pay that back. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of, that's the why. And so I don't just want the status of having a million dollars. It's, I want to be able to do a lot of things that this money would provide. And that, I mean, I'm getting motivated just talking right now. Cause I'm like, this is why entrepreneurs do what we do. Yeah. And you, and my advice, write it down. Mm. Cause if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. It's in your head, but it's important for everyone to know what that is. Write it down. Make a plan, put a date on it, and you'll get there. I know you, you'll get there. Um, but it won't be about the million dollars. Yeah. You'll, you'll get there. You'll probably far exceed that. Because mm-hmm. the things that are important to you that you just mentioned, that goes beyond. That's millions of dollars. That goes beyond that. Mm. That's more important to you than even the million dollars. The million dollars is just the tool you need Correct. to get the job done. Mm. It's just the hammer in the box. So you say, I got to go get this hammer because I got to drive some nails in. Mm. So that's all you're doing. So stay focused on those. Go- write them down and let them be your guide to what you're doing. And then, of course, you got to get to work and go make your million dollars. But, and do that uh, stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's that's you don't mind doing it. No, I don't. Well, and that's anyone listening. I mean, I think that's kind of the whole goal of really what we talked about today is it's not the goal isn't to just make a bunch of money. And that's not the end all be all. Like if you really want to be successful, if you're thinking about starting a business or you're working a job right now, or you're, you're on the fence of you got this like job to do commission and you're scared of it. The question is, do you have dreams and goals and a vision that being an entrepreneur and sacrificing some time could help you get there? And if, if you do have those aspirations in life, then honestly doing a job that is a self-employed job might be for those people. For someone else that their why is, I just want to be home every night by four o'clock, then you should probably just work a nine to five. Yep. And that's okay because your why is being fulfilled in that. Absolutely. That's why and it's so important correct. to figure out what their why is, what's important to you. Everyone's different. That's what makes the world go around. Everyone's different. Yeah. Thank God. And so everyone does what they do. You know, so, so we talked about musicians and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the starving artists. There's probably some guys that are doing music gigs in bars for a hundred bucks a night yeah. and they're, they're flat broke, but they love their music. That's what they love to do. And sure. that's just how they live. And, and that's okay. And maybe they don't have a fancy car or a fancy house, but they don't care not, because they love what they do. What um, and the funny thing is, though, we find is that those people who do live their lives that way, guess what happens? 
They were never looking for the money. Mm. The money came, mm-hmm. and it often does because they're doing because their purpose is resolute. Mm. It's in their hearts and souls. They love what they do. They love the results they get from it. They love the impact it has on the world, and so they do it with great passion. And what happens is, they become successful. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, all I'm doing is playing the guitar. I know, but man, you play the guitar like nobody's business. Oh. That's all, it's all, it. I, all yeah. I can do, yeah. you know? And now you're like James Taylor where they pay you zillions of dollars to play the same song over and over and over. So uh, it's an interesting lesson we can learn by watching people who have lived uh, their lives in a way that serves their um, uh, their passions and uh, their why. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think anyone listening is going to be inspired by, I mean, obviously your story and what you're teaching people. Um, I think any business in Metro Detroit would be, like would it would definitely benefit them to reach out to you at some level just to hear what you have going on because I know you've helped me a lot. You've helped a lot of people in Michigan, and I'd love to kind of end as we kind of trail off because I want to make sure we're we're good on time today. Um, one thing we mentioned you mentioned earlier was about how some people think that entrepreneurs get lucky, right? <laughs> or yeah. people that make a lot of money, like oh you just got lucky. And I want to I, I want to kind of touch on that for one second. Um, I have I do think that we can get lucky. If you define it like this, I define luck um, where luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Absolutely. So yes, you can get lucky because you could walk into a networking meeting and happen to to whatever your field is, happen to meet that ideal client that literally gives you like a $30,000 sale or $500,000 sale. And someone else doing the same thing you do is like, oh my goodness, they got so lucky. Hmm. Can you believe that they got that big sale? It's like, no, he showed up. He went to that networking meeting. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And so I I do think we can get lucky. I think, I don't really believe in luck. I do think we can, we create our own luck. We can get to the point where, hey, I wasn't expecting that to happen to me today, but it did, you know? Yeah. And, but you put yourself in that position to make that happen, right? Yep. Um, and so, yeah, so you can touch on that if you want, but that's, I just wanted to touch on that because I do. No, it's a, I, I, I totally agree. Luck results when opportunity meets preparation. I wish I had a hole-in-one. I've been golfing for years. I never had one. But I'm sure if I just played more and more and more and more, sure. I probably would have gotten one. Not because I'm better, because if you ask any pro, is a hole-in-one skill? And they say, no, it's just it's, it's, just, it's just chance. <laughs> yeah. If you do it enough times, if you flip a coin enough times, you know. Correct. Uh, it just goes in once in a while. And yeah. so uh, I agree. So you stay at your craft and you get better all the time and you work at it and do it with a passion. And all of a sudden, lucky things start happening for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and most of the time, I find if you're just helping other people, my dad used to always say, if you help other people up the hill, you get up the hill yourself. Mm. And I really find that when entrepreneurs are looking to start a business, I hope they focus not on the money. They focus on the people they help. Mm. When you're helping people, you're a success in business. Yeah, They'll pay you. They'll buy your products or whatever yeah. you're selling or doing. They'll make sure that you're taken care of because you're, you're, you're providing them with value with no expectation mm. sometimes of being paid. And that's just a good place to come from anyways. Mm. That's probably when the best work is being done too is when you're doing the work and your, your product is fulfilling a need and that's your number one focus you're going to do a better job probably than if you're just focused on getting paid on something because you're really just trying to satisfy a need for a client and that's going to be your best work that you can I, I, do. It's absolutely true, and uh, and I've seen it play out mm. uh, in my lifetime and with clients, and some of them small little companies and some of them 500-person companies. When they start working from a mindset of, 
abundance as opposed to scarcity. Uh, and, you know, abundance and, and caring and instead of scarcity and fear, um, mm. that's when things change. That's mm. when they really start becoming great companies with great people and achieving great things. It seems counterintuitive to maybe even how I was raised growing up, but I've just learned over my 61 years that that's how, that's how it is. It's how it works. And it's way more fun to, to work that way. Yeah, like when you can work in a – it kind of goes back to – so it's weird for me, and I know for a lot of people, some fear has can do one of two things. It can either motivate because you're like, I'm afraid I'm going to kick this in the butt and I'm not, or it can paralyze, right? And also like self-doubt in the sense of, yeah, I, I don't think I can do this thing. Like if you're jumping into an entrepreneurial career and you, you don't have confidence, even just fake it at that point until you believe that you can be confident. Because I know that there are a lot of entrepreneurs, and you'll probably agree with this, that um, their biggest issue is they don't believe that they can even be an entrepreneur. And they have the wife or the spouse saying you're in the wrong career. You have mom and dad saying you're in the wrong career. And pretty soon this would have been amazing entrepreneur gave up, yeah. not because they couldn't do it, just because they believe they couldn't do it. And that, that has a big, a big impact, I think, on a lot of people. For anyone that would listen to this that's thinking of being a business owner, um, a couple things. Uh, there's a book uh, written by Gino Wickman. He's the guy who started EOS, but he also wrote another book called Entrepreneurial Leap. It's a really simple read, and it's a great book, and it's designed for people who are thinking about starting a business, and he coaches them on, here's how you need to think about this. Are you ready for this? Are you not ready for this? To help you figure out, are mm. you meant for this? Are you built for this? And I can provide you with a copy or two. Um, the other thing is that I can almost, I've built several businesses, and um, and I can tell you almost with certainty, there will always be naysayers around you. Uh, remember, this is what's in their head, not yours. Mm. This is just in what's in their head and from their life's experiences. And I can tell you this is how it goes. So you say, I'm going to start a business, and I'm your best friend, and I go, geez, Dylan, you're going to leave that company? I mean, they're paying you a salary, and you get a car allowance, and what if this doesn't work out, and blah, blah, blah. What if you have a baby? It's going to get really tough, uh, you know, all that, right? Sure. And then two years later, after you're successful, I'm the first guy to stand up and toast you and say, I knew it all along. Yep. Dylan's the yep. smartest guy I know. I just admire him. So you just can't take that stuff in. When yeah. people genuinely want to help you, they'll do it in a way that you'll know you'll feel helped. And if, if, they're, if they're draining you of your energy with negative thoughts without really acting like they're helping, that's probably trash that's in their head, yeah. not yours. It could be that they um, wish they could have that courage to do what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true a lot of the times. And, you know, it could be coming from a good place in their heart where they're just trying to look out for you and whatever. And that's, I know, true of parents. But again, it's coming from their perceptive, their perception on what they think you can do or what they themselves think they're capable of. And that's where we frame a lot of our thoughts. And so for an individual um, wanting to start a business or thinking of getting out of the business, like you said, is if you're start with your why, I think they should read the book with Simon Sinek. Start with that why. Start Such with a why. great book. It I is. mean, not even for business, just for, just for, for life. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Fantastic. They, I'm going to put it on audio. I might reread it now. Yeah, I'm just thinking it's, 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 it's been like three, four years since I read it. Yeah. Um, Simon Sinek is great. And so like start with your why. And if your why of what you want to do blends into being an entrepreneur, then you can make it happen. Now, you might not succeed the first time. You might not succeed the second time. 
There's a lot of businesses that fail. In fact, you know what? This, there's a statistic that's like a certain percentage of every entrepreneur's first couple of businesses fail. I don't know what it is, but it's not very good. Like the percentage is higher than I think we want to admit. And, you know, even with coffee shops, like one out of every three coffee shops fail within the first two years or something like that too. So we're not saying you're automatically going to be a success. Well, let me comment on that if I may. If there's time. Please. So, all right. So here, here's the deal. So yes, the statistics are poor for people that start a business in the first five years. I, I typically believe that even when you have a great business, I'm going to use my cupcake guy again. So okay. I, I'm really great at making cupcakes. And finally, yeah. I'll, everyone talks to me, man, you got to open your own place, right? So I go into business because I love making cupcakes. I mean, I'm just nuts for making cupcakes. So this is what I do. And lo and behold, to my surprise and to yours, I'm successful. I have a storefront and people are lined up around the block to get my cupcakes. I'm now in business. Sure. I've arrived. And here's where the tough part starts. I never signed up to be in business. I signed up to make cupcakes, mm. and now I have a business. And I think a lot of doctors fall into this trap, too. You know, mm-hmm. They're really good at what they do, and then they go into private practice, and they find out, well, you've got to have people coming and going and insurances and employees and staff. And some of them say, that's not what I love to do. I just like working on shoulders and healing people, and all this other stuff is noise. And so they find that they're doing more of the noise. I'm worried about leases and employees and supply chain issues and all that, and I'm not making my cupcakes. Mm. And so I lose, I either A, lose the passion for my business because I'm not making cupcakes anymore, or I miserably fail at running the business because I'm not good at that stuff. I'm good at cupcakes. Mm. So you have to make that decision. If I'm going to go past this, this ceiling that I've hit, Hmm. then I've got to create certain leadership abilities to do that. I've got to be able to simplify my processes and be able to delegate to other people. I've got to be able to predict things better, Mm -hmm. short-term and long-term. I have to be able to systemize things. Think of those franchises, systemize it. And lastly, I need to structure things. That's where we start. What's the structure of the baseball Hmm. team? And that's what helps people break through those ceilings they hit. Most people hit that first ceiling, they go, well, this sucks, and they're out. Hmm. Or they just perform poorly. And they never get to that structural And, and they just anyway, never, yeah. they just fail. And they think they had a bad idea or they think they were not good at certain things. They were great at making cupcakes and they probably had a great idea. They just didn't get the business part. That's not what they signed up for. Mm. They didn't know that was coming. And so with the right coaching, with the right help, with the right people around them, mentors to help them, they get through that. Sure. That's how they build great businesses. Well, I think that's a great ending point because um, I know you have to get on the road soon. I guess we'll leave leave everyone with this thought. Uh, thank you for, for listening. If you are looking to start a business or you want to um, grow your business or you feel like you've hit that ceiling, definitely reach out to Mike. I mean, that's what Mike does. That's what his team does. They help people make sure that they're the best leader they can be and they're training the best leaders that their team can be as well. So thank you for that, Mike. Thank you for coming on the show today. This is great. Um, man, I love it. This and, is great. You know, if this insurance thing doesn't work out for you, I think you got, you've got a shot as a, as a uh, talk show host someday. I appreciate that. You're well, really good at it. I appreciate it. And honestly, if you're new, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. If you're watching this on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram, hit that share button. Tag a business owner. Tag a client that you are you might think that they could benefit from this. If you're watching this for the first time and you want to get a hold of Mike, we're going to put his information in the description uh, channel part below, and it'll also be in the comment section. So we'll include his number, his his information that you can reach out to him there. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate Dylan, it. Thanks for having me on the you show. Got him up. It's great. Enjoyed it immensely. You got it. All right, guys. We'll see you thanks. on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.